Welcome to Product Leaders Podcast, a podcast by FireArt Studio. We delve into the world of product leadership to help empower you to improve end user experience. I'm your host, Dima Wenglinski. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today we host Satnam Singh. He is commercially minded, executed focused leader, digital transformation with proven track record of value creation using expertise in product management, data, analytics, and artificial intelligence. Led product, technology, and data science teams at Oracle, MetLife, and Travelocity to drive success large-scale operational efficiency and top-line growth programs. Senior advisor to Fortune 500 companies, including AT&T, HP, and Capital One. Mentor to MBA students at Columbia Business School and mentor program at Rutgers University. He is current chief product officer for Tax and Trade, global API and cloud leader at Thomson Reuters. Hello, Satnam. It's nice to have you today. How are you doing? Hello, Dima. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us, please, about your background, what brought you where you are currently. Absolutely, Dima. My journey has been, I would say, slightly, or at least what I think is slightly atypical. You know, I did my bachelor's in industrial engineering uh, at IIT, the Indian Institute of Technology back in India. And then I subsequently ended up doing my master's in operations research and statistics at UNC Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So I come from a very, uh, call it an engineering background, a technical background, right? And over the course of the years, what I found myself doing, my first job out of college, out of master's was a company called Akamai Technology, where I was working on the algorithms that power the content distribution network. What I found myself, though, was always thinking about how do these algorithms really benefit our customers? What are they doing with it? You know, what is the benefit that they're accruing from it? And over the course of the years, I started getting closer and closer to the customer problems. And as I got closer and closer to the customer problems, it inevitably pulled me into product management. The companies like Keynote Systems, where I launched products such as Application Perspective, companies like Quantiv. Quantiv had the second largest ad server behind DoubleClick. DoubleClick got acquired by Google. We got acquired by Microsoft, Travelocity, as you mentioned, where I was involved in turning the company around, and Oracle, where I led the data and analytics portfolio and AI portfolio product suites. And then now at Tom's Embroiders, where I, as you said, I lead the corporate's tax and trade product portfolio, which is, you know, tax applications such as corporate income tax, indirect or sales tax, global trade, which is important for supply chains and global movement of goods, as well as the you know, leading the API, the digital transformation for APIs, as well as our movement towards the cloud, if you will. So I've come from an engineering background, technical background, and because of that really desire to truly understand the customer and understand the impact, I get getting closer and closer to the discipline of product management. Wow, this is, this sounds as truly impressive journey. You're too kind. You're too kind. I, I would say, I don't know about impressive, but definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from engineering to product management, this is quite a shift. It's a bit of a shift. I'd say it's a engineering to product into now 
you know, acting as a, you know, I, as you said at the beginning, I am a commercially oriented product person. So I, I really, at the end of the day, what I like to see is, you know, two or three things. Is my product really helping my customers improve their workflows, right? Is my product really helping, does my product really have a great customer experience? And then the third thing is, is the product really driving commercial value to the organization? And so that commercial value is maybe another shift, if you will, that has happened over the past 10 years where I like to go into the sales pipelines. I like to understand where our net revenue retention rates are. I like to understand how we're selling, what's resonating, what's not resonating. So it's an interesting combination, as you can imagine. And especially, I think, for product leaders, this is something that has changed over the years. Cool. Sounds like you enjoy digging deep to sales pipelines. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, this personality of manager that really cares about every aspect of the business and tries to understand how this or that works, because essentially each company consists a lot of departments and mm -hmm. especially in big companies, it's sometimes very hard to find those gaps in conversion uh, here and there or find selling points or find any struggles of your clients. So I also noticed it in my company that digging into departments from time to time is very helpful. <laughs> yeah, it gives you insight, right? I, like to be clear, the idea here isn't by digging into the sales pipeline, the idea isn't that, you know, it's all about the money. But when you follow that, when you follow it, inevitably you come across additional customer insights. So you can get customer insights through user research, you know, through your inbound product marketing teams, through market research. But I have personally, or through your support teams when customers call and express their issues, if you will. But I've, what I've also found is that sales is a great area to gather additional insights, right? What is it that we're putting out in the market or saying in the market that is either resonating or not resonating, you know, with prospects? And I think that's an additional layer of insight that sometimes as product leaders, we forget to get, but I think it's a very important insight. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Does your engineering foundation helps you in any way in your day-to-day -to -day -to job? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because if you think about it, product has three or four major key points to connect with other departments in the company, right? And other functions in the company. Engineering and design are two of those key connection points, along with sales and marketing, if you will, right, and support. But with engineering, the ability to have a dialogue, the ability to understand the engineering team, the ability to understand where they're coming from, because you have been in their shoes, makes for a much easier conversation, a much easier discussion, a much more collaborative discussion, if you will. And it makes for a much better roadmap and strategy forward. If you have been a person who has been either a developer or you have been an infrastructure engineer, if you will, right? Those kind of aspects really help you really understand the nuances of what the engineers have to go through. So I think in my mind, it's extremely valuable. And in fact, I would say that we should all as product managers put ourselves a day in the shoes of an engineer, a day in the shoes of a salesperson. Because I think you know there, there's an aspect I say about, there's one quality, if you will, that you ask me and say, hey, what is that one quality that every product leader should have? I say, 
it's basically psychological safety. I have a framework. I love frameworks, right? Because I think it's an easier way to remember things. And I have this framework called an ace, an ace up your sleeve, right? Bit of a casino reference, but or a gambling reference, but ace up your sleeve is, you know, there's, I'll get into the other A and C part and what those A and C means, but the E part of that ace is empathetic, right? You, mm-hmm. you have to have the empathy for other departments in their company, right? You have to understand where they are or, and how do they function, right? And what are the challenges they face? And so I, I do think, and your ability to listen to those internal stakeholders, such as sales, such as engineering, such as support, of course, as well as customers, you have to listen and learn from them. But I think every product manager should have that empathy, should learn, should listen. And so, yeah, engineering background does help me. But I think this is where, as I said, I have leaned more and more also towards the sales part because I have the engineering part, uh, the product part. I want to lean towards the sales part. By the way, just so you know, the A and C that I mentioned are accountability. So when I say accountability, I mean the accountability to accept imperfect outcomes, the accountability to say, yeah, we chose to go down a certain path. It did not translate into what we had hoped it would, or maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we didn't operate with the right amount of data or the right type of data. And so it's okay to make a mistake and it's okay to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm accountable for it, but let's go move forward in finding the right solution for it. And the C part is curiosity. So empathy is one thing and curiosity is another thing. Empathy is you understanding where the other person's coming from or what they have to face. Curiosity is you having the innate desire to learn and the innate desire to understand the problem space and courage drivers ideas. Because I think when you do that, you really come up with the best solution possible. So I know it was a long way to answer your question, but it reminded me of this ACE framework, which I think would be great for your listeners. It's a good way, actually, to answer my question. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the ACE framework. I never heard of it, but it sounds like really, really good framework for not only product managers, product leaders, but basically any position in any company because it helps you to grow professionally, mm-hmm. personally, you always have to be empathic and mm-hmm. accountable and then you'll be a better person, better professional, better manager, especially with management positions. Yeah, I totally agree with it and I'll dig deeper into this uh, mm-hmm. framework because it sounds really interesting. Yeah, and by the way, this is a framework that I coined and uh, as we were talking about setting this up, you mentioned, you know, that let's keep it a little lively discussion. I will say that I found this framework to be helpful in my personal life as well, especially, you know, when I make a mistake at home, I own up to that mistake. I let my spouse know, my wife know that, yeah, I made that mistake. And trust me, it goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, helps you to be a better person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, please feel free to dig in. Anything I can help with, absolutely. It would be a delight to do so. Thank you. What is your role today and what parts of it excite you the most? Yeah, so I kind of wear uh, three hats, right? My hat number one is as a chief product officer for the tax and trade portfolio, right? So quickly, just to go, go through it again, tax and trade portfolio means corporate income tax. So companies use our corporate income tax applications and products, if you will, to file their income taxes, right? So this is, for example, income tax filing in the U.S., 
are, you know, statutory reporting overseas, for example, very much so in the EU region, right, and, and Asia Pacific tax provision. Then the second tax pillar is indirect sales tax, right? So how do you determine what amount of sales tax to charge on a particular transaction? You know, what are the set of activities you need to do to stay compliant with the filings related to those sales taxes that you're collecting? So that's your tax. The second piece is global trade. So this is where you're looking to understand the regulations as you move goods, either you know partially finished or fully finished across country lines. What are the regulations you need to be in compliance with, right? As well as, you know, what could you benefit from when it comes to free trade agreements or free trade zones as you move your goods to lower your total cost of manufacturing or total landed cost of those goods? The, the third area is trust and information reporting, so trust tax. Information reporting, tax information reporting is your 1099s. And the fourth area is really we've established a layer called the platform services. So, you know, as you think about your products, I, I like to have a platform app strategy. And this platform is really the set of shared components that can go across all of these applications that I talked about, right? And therefore, each application benefits, if you will, by having a shared services team really provide those capabilities. When I say the platform, I mean things like data management, if you will, right? Every application has data, and therefore they need some data management. Analytics, right? SIAM, single sign-on. So all those things sit in the platform, and right? And that's something that has come up more and more so in terms of data strategy. An important data strategy has become a very important component of our product strategy. So those are that's my first hat, if you will, that I wear. My second hat is to basically lead this transformation across the entire organization, our shift, if you will, to APIs, right? As you can imagine, right, APIs really offer a lot of benefit to our customers and to us internally, right? They offer the ability to really offer parts of the application functionality, if you will, to our customers and to our partners. And they also, by taking an application, and this one I'm saying generically, not specific to Thomson Reuters, but in general, when you take a, an application and you break it down into individual aspects of it through APIs, you have the ability to scale that application much better, right? Because each API is essentially performing a specific function. So that's the second one. And then the third one is really operations, which is because we're a regulatory-driven company, tax, global trade, when changes happen in these regulations, like in global trade, we made 100 million changes last year. So pretty significant amount of changes. We need to make sure that when, for example, those custom rates change or sales tax rates change, those reflect accurately in our applications. So there's an operations team that's constantly looking at those changes. So for example, the example, if a tax form changed, we want to make sure that when our customers are using those tax forms in our applications, they're using the latest and greatest and the most accurate one. So this operations team is constantly looking at those changes and bringing them to the application. So how do we do that in a most cost-efficient manner, in a more scalable manner, fast time to market, if you will, right? So those are the three hats. Now, you asked me what excites me the most. I think at the end of the day, it's really helping the customers with their workflows, right? What can we do through our products, through our services that we offer that makes the life of our customers easier, if you will, right? Because Nobody wants to sit in front of a computer screen and hours and hours and spend time to do things that are very manual. We want to automate these things for our customers. 
We want to make it easier for them to get data in and data out. We want them to be able to make sure that the applications we're offering have the most accurate content, right? So they don't have to constantly reconcile, right? These data points or redo them. That's what excites me the most. When a customer comes and says, you know, you made my life easier or you made my life easier. And because my life was easier, I was able to focus more time on strategic planning. And by the way, look, I got promoted because of that. That really excites me. And that's something that has excited me, not just here, but throughout my entire product management career, right? Even when I was at Oracle, leading up the data and analytics and AI portfolio, I always used to ask my customers, how has exactly my product helped you in your professional life? And, you know, has my product led you to allowed you more time to focus on strategic thinking and other value creation for your company? And therefore you've been able to get you know, new responsibilities or promotion. If your product can do that, then A, you've done something nice for your customers and B, you've created a nice stickiness for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the answer of natural product leader. <laughs> You're too kind again. You mentioned a lot of data in between different jurisdictions and analytics. Just out of your curiosity, how do you find dancing around all the data regulations like HIPAA and GDPR? Whether it bothers you or you're used to it already? I'll have to understand the word when you say dancing around a little bit more. But I think that I won't say the official position because I'm not here in an official capacity to this is more of a personal connect. So my non-official answer, my sole opinion, if you will, is that, again, this is carries across, whether that be currently at my role or previously, right? It is that, you know, you have to stay in compliance with these regulations, not just for yourself, but for the benefit of your customers as well, because no customer ever wants to buy a product where they have to constantly think about additional cost of ownership because you haven't solved for a problem and therefore they have to, or they have to constantly worry about whether they are in regulatory compliance, whether you're selling a regulatory product or not, doesn't matter, right? You could be selling a marketing product and you you need to make sure you're still in compliance with GDPR. So I think uh, that is something that to me is a fundamental aspect of building your product. If your product has some shape or form, has to meet those compliance or has to meet those regulations, then you have to do it, right? Because at the end of the day, as I said, it's all about making sure that your customers can use your products effectively without any additional cost of ownership or additional work that they have to do on their end to maintain your product. Yeah, totally makes sense. Thank you. What is your framework for building great products? As you can tell by now that I'm a bit of a sucker for frameworks, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it, I, I find that it's easier to remember these things, right? So I have a call it a 5P framework. So let me take maybe 30 seconds. The five Ps are purpose, plan, priorities, principles, and promotion. And let me take another 30, you know, 30 seconds on each one of them. So my purpose means, what exactly are you trying to do? What's your purpose of your product? Like, what is your product intended to do? And sometimes it's easier to say, my product is intended to do this. And I caution product leaders that I mentor, and I ask them, you need to think about the workflow that your customers are going through. It may sound something like a jobs to be done kind of thing, but you have to think about the workflow. Don't think about just the silo of where the set of activities that your product is doing. 
think about what is upstream that your customer has to do before they get to interact with your product and what is downstream what happens after they use your product what are the other set of activities that they have to do after using your product so for example if you have a product that's you know about marketing optimization great but what kind of reporting does the marketing channel manager have to do after they've used your product you know what is the engagement with the finance team if you will that they may have to go through right in order to show so that's why i say purpose you have to be very clear in what is the purpose of your product right that you're doing now purpose is a bit like vision and plan then starts defining how you execute on that vision right so you say look my purpose is this you know i want to create the best marketing optimization product well my plan now is to make sure that i focus let's say first on the best sales side platform right that's my plan right that's where i want to go first and so then once you've kind of figured out your plan that's one level below it starts taking shape in terms of what is your first horizon second horizon third horizon what are you going to do now what is next and what is later right that's your plan now you're starting to shape then you come to your priorities the third p is well i'm not going to have no product manager ever has the money to do everything that they want to do right so now you have to think about your priorities what comes first what comes second what comes third and you have some level of agility around it right to say okay if things have to shift where do they shift so that's your priorities but this agility that i talked about that comes into principles because at some point in the road every product leader comes to a fork in the road do they go left or do they go right and that's where you have to have some principles and say whenever we are faced with these decisions of where to go we are going to have a set of principles that are going to guide us so we're not making these decisions either because somebody said so or because we think that's the right thing to do in the heat of the moment but if you have those principles defined for example you can say if you're offering a product that's about security at the end of the day it's about customer trust if you will for example the trust framework that you have to do so principles is the fourth p and then finally the fifth p is promotion it kind of sounds a little different than all the other p's that i've talked about but promotion is about that as you're building products internally in your organization you have to constantly you shouldn't be talking about the success those products are generating because a it gets that excitement to the different teams right about yes this is working yes we should do more of it but also when i say promotion it should not just be drum beating about the success it should also be about gathering feedback about this is what we did let's gather feedback about what worked and what did not work right so by doing the promotion by taking that conversation in the organization you tend to collect feedback information and that feedback loop is very important so again just to quickly summarize purpose what's your overall purpose why is your product there what is it supposed to do plan of what exactly is your strategy for what the product is supposed to do priorities as to how you're going to go into market what's your roadmap if you will principles are as i said when you're faced with a decision which direction you're going to go and then promotion to really share and talk about both the successes as well as gather feedback sounds interesting this framework 5p as i understand you apply it to a lot of products already right yes i mean i've applied it to travel products at travelocity to insurance products to tax regulatory products to data analytics and ai products it has worked for me across that board all the time wow sounds great 
<laughs> good traction for this framework. Okay. How can product leaders create the right influence or in their organization? I think that every product leader, of course, has to focus on the product that I just talked about, right? That Pi 5B framework. And in general, product leaders focus on that. Like they think about their vision, they think about their execution, because at the end of the day, fundamentally, you're thinking about your roadmap, right? But the part that I think gets lost sometimes is the focus on people, right? The focus on establishing the right teams, the focus on establishing the right culture within the organization. You know, product leaders don't operate in a vacuum, right? As as you and I talked about earlier, right? They operate across sales, they operate across engineering, they operate across support, product marketing, you know, marketing. So they have to create that right culture, if you will, about openness, right? Having the right dialogue, the ability to have that right dialogue, the ability to have an open dialogue within the organization, the ability to set that culture, if you will, right? As I said earlier, that psychological safety. So I think that's a, in order to create the right influence, the product leaders encourage that and create that culture within their organizations. And then, you know, the other aspect that I was just talking about, which is promotion, is to create that excitement, to create that energy and the ability to have an open dialogue again about information sharing. Along with the product aspect, if product leaders can focus on these two other aspects, the people aspect and the promotion aspect, I think they can create the right influence within the organization because they can make sure the organization is aligned Everybody's moving in the same direction, or at least agrees to moving in the same direction. Challenge and commit is always there, but at least everybody's moving in the same direction and pulling the organization in a very consolidated manner, together manner, you know, forward. And I think the product leaders that do that actively and engage in that create the right influence in their respective organizations. Have you found it challenging to sustain culture and this? common purpose in big companies during COVID times? I think that COVID did represent a bit of a challenge initially, right? Initially, as we, like anything, and you go through an inflection point, when you go through a transition, you know, whatever you've done in the past doesn't work. Suddenly you've been thrown a curveball. So I think in that initial transition period, there was definitely a period where everybody was just adjusting to quote unquote, as they said, the new normal. But I think, if you focus on the fundamentals, right, as I said, that information sharing, the ability to have an open dialogue, I think that doesn't matter whether you are sitting in person or you're sitting across in a Teams chat or call or a Zoom call. If you establish that culture of open sharing and the ability to have that accountability, the ability to have that psychological safety, that transcends across mediums, across geographies, so that's why, yeah, tomorrow we may be faced with another challenge and we may have to pivot ourselves again and figure out how to do that in a different way. Maybe, you know, we'll have to tomorrow figure out how to do this in the metaverse, right? Rather than sitting physically across from each other. But I think the fundamentals remain the same, is how do you encourage that dialogue? How do you empathize with the people? Empathy with the people doesn't matter whether you're sitting across the table from me or you're on a team or a Zoom call with me. If I really want to put myself in your shoes, then I'll put myself in your shoes, irrespective of geographical boundaries that we are in. So I think, yeah, COVID created initially that twist, but teams figured out 
the teams that really focused on these fundamentals figured out how to operate in the new norm. Yeah, we found it also quite challenging. I think of big companies during this time, obviously what you just said is correct, being empathetic. It doesn't matter whether you're on Zoom or offline or attending offline meetings, but big companies, considering big numbers of people, you never know where is the weak point. And with this transition to remote work, we found a lot of weak points in production, in, in communication here and there. And obviously being agile during the times of challenges is very, very important. Yeah. Without it, yeah. you'll just die. But I was always curious how big companies survive during those changes because it's when you're big, it's harder to move fast. It's harder to change and do basically everything faster. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, look, one thing I would say is with COVID, definitely, or, or I would say even with not with COVID, even because, uh, you know, again, not speaking for the present company, but in general, with the geographically dispersed teams, many teams are already operating on Zoom and others, right? Maybe not as accelerated as, you know, that COVID brought about. But even when you are in that kind of medium, yes, you do have to take some extra effort to make sure that you are being empathy doesn't mean that I only I get on a call with you and I agree with you. That's not what empathy means. Empathy means taking that extra effort to reach out across the aisle, to reach out to your colleagues, you know, to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations or the ability to strike ad hoc conversations. That's what empathy means, that I'm able to reach out to you, have a conversation with you, understand where you're coming from, understand your challenges, understand what you're facing, and truly put myself in your shoes. And that's why I say my personal opinion again is yes, it becomes easier if you're, you know, if you have the ability to walk across the hall and talk to the person, maybe say, hey, let's go go out for a coffee. It it is definitely easier. But if the fundamental desire isn't there, if the fundamental aspect of you wanting to do is not there, doesn't matter if you are in the same building or whether you're thousands of miles apart, it doesn't matter. So that fundamental desire has to be there. Of course, it gets an easier if you're in the same building. But to me, it's, again, that fundamental that is most important to make sure you cultivate that. Yeah, I agree here. If we talk about successes and what frameworks have been implemented there and here, we're all usually smart and cool. <laughs> but let's talk about unsuccess stories. What is one mistake that you've made that taught you the most? You know, this is, as I said, early on and very early in my career, I was lucky enough to make a mistake early on in my career. And as I say, I was lucky because the faster you can face these mistakes, the sooner you learn. And that's really something that really shaped my thinking early on in my product management career. As I was saying about that upstream and downstream, right? One of the challenges, you know, this was a, a product that let's just say required data integration. And where I was focused on was very much the work that was being done on the marketing optimization side, right? So my product was very much focused on marketing optimization, right? And what I didn't pay as much attention to, again, because, you know, I wasn't thinking in that proper workflow manner, 
is paying attention to what my customers have to do before and what my customers have to do after. So that shaped my thinking very much about this whole aspect of that I want to think about my product less as a silo, a set of defined boundaries which start here and end here. I don't want to think about my product like that. I want to think about my product as a continuum, if you will, and then understand where my product comes in. You know, it starts at this point and ends at this point, or this is the point in the workflow where I can start adding value. And this is a point in the workflow where the value that I can add isn't as much, and therefore it translates to somebody else, right? Some other product. But that was my mistake. I didn't really think about at that point in time. I was thinking in a very siloed fashion. And that, as I said, has really led me to say, what I constantly ask my customers is, I want to understand your workflow. I want to understand how your workflow is changing. I want to understand, as I share my product strategy with you, my roadmap with you, I want to understand what's your strategy and roadmap. Because it's crucial for me to understand how that is changing, how your business is changing, right? Because there's one thing you can do to your customers. You can ask them and say, help me understand how my product is performing. Give me feedback on my product. That's well and good. Great. But you have to understand how their business is going to change in the next six months, one year, three years, five years. Because their business relies on your products. If you don't have a good pulse on where your customers are thinking about moving, what are their strategic roadmaps? What are their strategic initiatives? Where they are planning to go? Then inevitably you will find is that your product cannot keep up with where they want to go and somebody else is going to come in and really take that space away from you. So again, going back to this workflow concept, as I said, is don't think about your product purely in certain boundaries. And don't think about when you gather feedback, when you engage with your customers, don't think just about getting your feedback on your product. Have that dialogue to understand what is strategic for your customers. How is their business changing? How does your product fit into their workflows of their business? And how exactly are they planning to change their roadmap and what are they going to be working on for the next six months, a year, three years, five years? Yeah, mistakes are truly essential for traction in our lives. I wish I would make my mistakes faster. I still... <laughs> Them, All but... of us would, right? All of us would. Yeah, yeah. So we are almost out of time here. We should wrap up. Just last question, closing question. Who in the world of digital products would you most like to take to lunch? That's a great, great question. You know, I'd say Mark Benioff, the founder of Salesforce and the CEO of Salesforce. And I'll tell you why. I think I gave the answer my present company is I, I'm not talking about you know, somebody that I've had on my mind for a long time is Mark Benioff. I think Mark has the right mix, if you will, about how he has shaped Salesforce culture to put the customer, you know, at the front to completely change that, you know, when nobody was thinking about SaaS, you know, he thought about SaaS, how that culture is not just purely inward focused, but he, he portrays that culture outside as well, outwards as well. I think he really defines that servant leadership truly, truly in his actions and his words and his statements and the culture that he has created at Salesforce. So I'd say Mark Benioff in terms of the digital transformation, in terms of the industry transformation, in terms of the cultural transformation, it would be Mark. So 
if Mark listens to this podcast and sends me an email, then I'll pin him. Yeah, please do. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, let me ask you that question. I, I'm curious about you. We've been, I've been largely answering the question. I'm curious, what would you say? Most probably it would be Satya Nadella. I think he's really cool person and very, very good manager. Mm -hmm. So because I'm CEO and I have this high management position, I don't dig into data a lot. But instead, I dig into the processes of building company, improving company, reshaping company. And I saw what he did recently is just so impressive. Yeah, that's a great choice. That's a great choice. I will ping Satya. I'll let him know you ping Mark. Okay. We are in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Dima, it has been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you very much for your time. It was a great pleasure to talk to you and I'll let you know when the podcast will be live, obviously. That sounds good. And uh, remember about our agreement of lunch persons. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. <laughs> Perfect, Nima. Again, truly enjoyed it and looking forward to when this comes up. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great Bye. day. You too. Product Leaders Podcast is brought to you by Fire Art Studio. I was the host, Dima Wendlinski. To find out more about FireArt and how we aim to build a brand that will contribute to the world with useful products that empower people and make their lives easier, visit fireart.studio. Search for product leaders in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you never miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fired Studio, thank you very much for listening.